I want you to think with me about the power of worry. Uh, worry directs us. Uh, worry, our fears, our anxieties can uh, cause us to press ahead much more quickly, and perhaps even much more rashly than we otherwise would because we are worrying, because we are fearful. Or it can cause us to pull back. It can cause us to retreat, to play it safe, again, because of what we're worried about, because of what we're anxious over. Uh, we can be worried. We can be fearful. We can be anxious about some sort of maybe a, a personal failure or a loss of social standing or a loss of um, much longed-for comfort and ease. Or maybe a sense of security and control and, and a fear of losing all of that then has a way of directing us and the actions that we take. So worry directs us. Worry also destroys us. Patterns set in to how we relate one to another that are inevitably destructive and undo and unwork the bonds of those relationships. But it's not just that relationally that worry destroys us, it also destroys us physically. It doesn't take a rocket scientist uh, to, to know that, that just our own personal experience, and, and, but data, research bears this out, that, that worry causes, of course, us to lose sleep. It has all kinds of detrimental effects therein from that. And then also a loss of appetite. Digestive disorders come out of that. Uh, a whole host of, of other things. Worry destroys us. With all of that in mind, it would seem sensible on our part to hear and heed what Jesus has to say about this topic. So, I would ask you if you have your Bible with you to turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue on in our series within a series. Uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and that is, of course, within the Gospel of Matthew. Well, it's Matthew's version. I realize there are other versions within the other Gospels, but we are in Matthew's accounting of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7. We are in chapter 6 right now at the very end. And. Um, I ask you to turn now there now with me. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Hear now the word of God. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me? 
Lord, as is said often in the Scriptures, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, we would long to be wise. Uh, We would long to be knowledgeable. Uh, We would long to have truer insight. We, we know that we are speaking of here on this topic of, of worry. You are speaking of, really, rather, uh, something that is quite familiar to all of us here. And we recognize in many respects that it is illogical, and in even some cases nonsensical, the things that we worry about. And nonetheless, nonetheless, it has a persistent grip around our neck. And we would long to be free. We would long to know what it would mean, what it would uh, demand to be free of such worry, of such anxiety, of such concern. So we ask that you would help us hear. Help us to hear. Um, Obviously, you're speaking strongly to this. We ask that you would give us ears with which to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, sometimes it is uh, said, and sometimes we even hear ourselves saying words like these, phrases like these about our credit cards. They're so easy to use. Um, and, and besides, I'll, I'll pay it off at the end of the month. It's not a problem. And by the way, how else do you think I'm going to get what I want? And so that, of course, you can see how that, 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 that lends itself to something of an impulsiveness in our our spending habits with, with all of, of that. Some of you may know that because of that impulsiveness, we as a, as a nation, on average, the, uh, the, the American household, the typical American household, is some $15,000 awash in credit card debt. And that translates, when you do the math, into roughly $2,500 a year paid in interest on that debt. Little wonder then that Dave Ramsey and his friends at Financial Peace University, are finally referred to as FPU, have adopted this mantra that goes like this, debt is normal, be weird. Jesus bids us to follow him. Now by that, please don't hear me saying that FPU is equated with the gospel. That's not my, my point. I'm simply saying that Jesus calls us not to be normal. He calls us to, to follow Him. He calls us on a different path, a distinct path. path. You know, as He says, said earlier already in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, to be salt and light in this world, to be a city upon a hill. He calls us to live lives that are, are different from the world around us, distinct even from the people uh, about whom we, we, with whom we mill and rub shoulders with. He calls us to be, as we looked at last week, different and distinct from the religious and their hypocrisy. Not living for status and what others think about us. He calls us to be different and distinct from also the, the irreligious and their commitment to materialism. He calls us not to live for stuff. He calls us to follow Him. That's uh, verses 19 uh, through 24. He puts a choice before us. We looked at this last week. A clear choice before us where we are called to choose between one of two, not three, one of two treasures, visions, way of seeing, 
and masters if we are to follow Him. Indeed, He does bid us to follow Him, much, much as, in, and you think back to the Exodus, and the Israelites as they were brought out of, delivered out of bondage, uh, enslavement, centuries of enslavement there in, in Egypt, uh, released, redeemed from bondage to, to lesser gods, set free from trusting and serving that which cannot help or save. And therein also, when you think about it, enslaved, set free from anxious fretting. Jesus calls us to, to follow Him. We are then no longer to live in worry and fear. I'm going to say that again, because that's actually a crazy statement. It is so countercultural. It is so against the grain. It is so against the way. It's, it's weird. Right? But I'm just going to say it again. Jesus calls us to follow Him. We are therein are, are no longer, no longer to live in worry, but trust. That's a completely new way. That's a completely different way. Now, what would that mean? What would that look like? We're going to come at that from th three different angles, looking at it here in this text. The first thing we need to consider is this. What is he ruling out? What exactly is he ruling out? Secondly, why is he ruling it out? And third, what is he calling for? Okay? So these three things. What is Jesus ruling out? Secondly, why is he ruling it out? And thirdly, what is he calling for? So let's look at that here in turn here in this text. So let's, what is Jesus ruling out? Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, stemming from, connected to everything he said thus far, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now skipping down to verse 34, because it's something of a bookend to this part of this, this text. Down to verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now look, our, we just tend to, it's natural, it's understandable, it's fine, it's okay to have thoughts, have our imaginations uh, drifting towards the future and, and wondering what might be coming. The question is, what form, what flavor is that, uh, that wondering going to take? And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Now we need to be clear what he's not speaking against. He's not speaking against what I'll call our activity. And what I mean by that is this. He is not saying there's anything wrong in and of itself but having thoughts about the future. There is not a problem about attempts at forecasting or forethought given towards tomorrow. That's not what he's speaking against, nor is he speaking against planning for the future, having insurance or making investments or savings or having a retirement fund. That is not what he's speaking against here at all, nor is he, by the way, speaking against... Uh, not, not thoughts about the future or planning for the future or working in the present. He is not speaking against that. Please don't take what Jesus is saying here as an excuse for passivity or laziness. God most often provides for us through ordinary means, ordinary means such as work. We therein are called to work. And God most ordinarily provides through that means. So, okay, these are the things that Jesus is not ruling out. Not ruling out our activity. But what he is ruling out is our anxiety. The word that's used here repeatedly 
uh, through this, this text can, depending on the context, can refer to just something kind of neutral like care and concern. But if the context is right, such as in here, it is rightly translated worry and anxiety um, in, in that sense of care and concern. And when you think about it, what, how, how does this play out? Well, it's, it's a gross mistake. Um, you, you think it, at best, at the very best, our worry, our anxiety is a waste of time and energy. Because, right, most often our worst case scenario never happens. So it's just a waste of time and energy. But let's just say that our worst case scenario does come about. Now what's happened? You've worried about it once and now you're experiencing it. So you've got double trouble. Now you've suffered twofold for the one thing. So it really doesn't make a, a, a lot of, of logical sense we're talking about here with worry and anxiety. Jesus is ruling it out. Again, not our activity, but our anxiety. Um, think about it this way. Um, visions of the future. There are a lot of films coming out these days, um, a lot of novels that they're based on. Dystopian visions of the future. That, that's the technical term for that genre. Dystopian mean literally uh, not a good place in terms of the setting, the context in which these stories are unfolding, like the Matrix films, not a good place, you know, if you've ever seen any of those, or, or uh, Mad Max, or Robocop, or the Terminator movies, or the Hunger Games, or the Planet of the Apes, the old ones, or the remakes, whichever. I mean, dystopian vision of the future, not a good place. Here's my point. However entertaining those stories and films may be, and however insightful about the culture from which they have come, and however uh, worthwhile discussing them with one another it might be, ultimately, ultimately, a Christian should never have a dystopian view of the future. Why? Because Jesus is in the future. Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, has said he is coming back to make all things what? New! So there is no room for this Eeyore-ish, puddle-glum-ish, ultimately pessimistic, glass-half-empty view, ultimately, ultimately, of the future of tomorrow. Because Jesus, whatever else is coming, is in tomorrow and shaping it. So, that's the first point. Jesus calls us to follow him, Big picture, we're simply not to be worrying, but trusting. Okay, but why? That's what he's ruled out, ruled out the worry and the anxiety, but why? That's the second thing we need to look at here. And, and what's interesting is, is he appeals to two different types of arguments, I guess you could say. One would be logical arguments that he puts before us, and then also speaking, imploring us to consider these spiritual realities, these, these two things here as to why he's ruling out our worry. So the logical arguments, uh, we see this here in verse 20, starting with verse 25. I read that before. I'm going to read it again. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Here's the argument. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is an argument from greater to lesser. That's how it works. Here's what he's saying. Has not God created life and the body? Yes. 
is that same God surely not then going to give and provide for all that that life and body needs that He created? Such as food and drink and clothing. Yes. You see, that's the argument that Jesus is making here. From greater to lesser. But then he, he shifts that. He moves from an argument from greater to lesser to then making arguments from lesser to greater. Asking us to consider our observations of nature. Uh, and so we then pick up in verse 26. Uh, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So the first appeal that he makes is to the, to the birds. Consider how God cares for, how he provides for, for the birds. And oh, my friend, are you not so much more valuable to your father than they? My friend, where is your worry getting you? Where is your worry really, really getting you. That's the first appeal. The second one, he pushes on further. Verses 28 and following. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So again, now here's this argument. Again from Lesser to greater, consider how God um, outfits, I guess you could say, or clothes or cares for the flowers and grass of the field that is so fragile, that is so fleeting. Consider that, oh my friends, and is it not true that the root of your fear, the root of your worry, is a lack of faith. Ultimately, is that not what's, what's happened, what's going on in your heart? Martin Luther put it this way in, with his, uh, shall I say, characteristic charm um, and earthiness, I suppose, as well. He said, you see, he is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and a preacher to the wisest of men. Whenever you listen to a nightingale, therefore, you are listening to an excellent preacher. It is as if he were saying, I prefer to be in the Lord's kitchen. He has made heaven and earth, and he himself is the cook and the host. Every day he feeds and nourishes innumerable little birds out of his hand, and it goes on to talk about the flowers of the field and the grass as, as well. So, okay, those are the logical arguments. Jesus is appealing there to our minds, to, to our intellect. He's saying, think, think, drill down here and think what you're doing and, and, and why. But then he shifts from the logical arguments to implore us to consider spiritual realities. Verses 31 through 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Just for lack of a better way of putting it, I'm just going to say this. These are all to worry, to be obsessed, to have your life directed by the pursuit of these things and the seeking after these things. Those are pagan pursuits. 
That, that, is, that is consistent with the heart of, the mind of, the life of someone who does not know God as their heavenly Father. It's consistent, it makes sense, it's logical for them. But not you! Not you. You know God to be your heavenly Father. Why are you worrying? Why are you anxious? You have this paternal provision. You need not this pagan pursuit. You have this paternal provision. He knows your needs far better than you ever will. And He can meet and will meet those needs in ways far beyond your deserving or imagining. He knows as your Father. So Jesus yokes together these logical arguments you see, appealing to the mind, appealing to the intellect, and then He shifts from there to appealing to these spiritual realities, appealing to our hearts, ruling out the worry. Now, I guess I would want to say this before we move on to the third point, and that is this. Do you see how God loves you? I mean, just in the way He's making the case. I'm not even talking about the case itself. Just in the way, the, the strength, the, 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 that He's passionately, creatively, full-throatedly making this appeal. He's marshalling every argument at His disposal, the breadth appealing to the mind and the intellect, appealing to the heart and the imagination. He knows how we desperately want to know. Do you see? And so He wants us to know. And therein speaks as He does here, causing our, all our arguments that we might have, counterpoints we would have, so, but I do need to worry, causing them to fall flat. Taking all the fuel of our anxiety and panic and choking it. Jesus calls us to follow Him. No longer to live lives of worry, but trust. Okay, but then that does take us to the third thing. Because it's not then that He just sort of you know, clears the deck and says, okay, move on. It's not that He just you know, speaks of negatively what we're not to do. He does actually show us what we are to do. And again, that is, is just as, as you can imagine, just as countercultural, counterintuitive, against the grain, all of that, of our natural tendencies, as it is not to worry. Because this is what he says, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, first, we are to seek God's kingdom. What does that mean? We've been talking about that off and on all through this, this series. You know, through the Gospel of Matthew, it's a major theme in Matthew's Gospel, and it comes up repeatedly here in the Sermon on the Mount as well. We're talking about the reign and rule of God. The reign and rule of God. That which has come and is coming. Um, has come and is yet to come in full. It's really the message of the Gospel. You ask, well, what is the Gospel? The good news of the kingdom. I mean, that's actually the way you see it articulated in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. So, for instance, there in, in Matthew, where I've read, read this several times in this series, but in Matthew 4, verse 17, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is how His message is summarized. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke, in his version of that, that same accounting in the beginning, the summary of Jesus' message, refers to, to, to that as the good news of the kingdom. The, ru the rule and reign of God 
having come and coming, as sure, sure as it's coming is like the, the dawn of the sun on the horizon. Um, and what this looks like then for us to seek that kingdom is to, to, that, our, that we would long for, just as we you see there in the Lord's Prayer, praying for the kingdom to come, the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we would long for all creation and all peoples to be living in glad submission to the rule of the king as all creation and all peoples were made to. And we would be heralds of that message. Hear ye, hear ye. The king has come and is coming again. This is good news. The good news of, of shalom being restored, of, of things as they were intended to be, and, right, and rightness and wholeness and fullness and all of that. So seeking God's kingdom and seeking, secondly, His righteousness. That's the other thing that Jesus speaks of here. And what does He mean by that? In this context, what He's speaking of here is God's commands, His statutes, His rules, His ordinances, that a theme of justice and mercy and faithfulness would be worked into every aspect of our lives beginning with us and moving outwardly like concentric circles permeating every aspect of life, every area of, of life. Or if I can put it this way, God is deeply concerned about such things as disease and emptiness and broken relationships and poverty and injustice and racism. God is deeply concerned about all those things. So too should His people be if we are seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Okay, so that's the commission. That's the command. That's the charge, but how are we to pursue that? He tells us. I don't know if you caught that. It's the second part of verse 33. We are to trust in His provision. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you see? We're given this charge, given this commission, given our marching orders, you could say. Seek these things first over and above chiefly any and everything else. And then we're given this assurance, and as you do that, I will watch over you, I will take care of you, I will provide for all those other things. What things? The things we're so preoccupied with. The food, the drink, and the clothing that we would otherwise be seeking after if we had a lesser God. That's what Jesus is calling for. A seeking after God's kingdom, a seeking after His righteousness, and a trusting in God's provision. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not therein in giving us this commission and giving us this provision and promise. He is not then also promising or assuring us of a life of ease and comfort. That is not His point. He is not assuring us um, well, let me just put it to you this way. Speaking of birds and flowers and grass, birds do fall from the sky and die. Flowers and grass, just look out there, do get cut down and dried up 
Christians do get ill. Christians do suffer. Christians are often ostracized, persecuted, and in some portions of the world, that has some ugly implications. Is that then somehow testifying against what Jesus is saying here? No, it's just simply we have to understand what it is that he's saying here. Jesus is not promising here the absence of the dark valley. What he is promising is his presence with us in the dark valley. You see? And his provision for us every step along the way. Walking with us all along the way. And lest we still need, lest that still troubles us, consider who it is that's speaking these words. Jesus Himself. Here at the very beginning of His ministry, as He is giving this teaching, even so, He is proclaiming this in the shadow of the cross. That should tell us something. Even as surely as He's beloved by His Father, that should tell us something. It should tell us something about the security of the Father's care and love that He has for us. We can know. We can be assured. We can count it as as absolutely certain that no matter how bad things are, no matter how dark things are, no matter how long that may go, God's purposes are always good and sure, and His love never fails. All we have to do is consider who it is that is speaking these words to us and what it is that He has done for us and His promises yet to us. And that is what can impel us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness That's what allows us, that's what frees us to then lay ourselves out, if I can put it that way, as we are laying hold of Him. As He calls us to follow Him, which again, therein means no longer living lives of worry, but trust. If I can put it this way, what Jesus is speaking of here is preoccupation. What are we preoccupied with, I guess is the question. What he recognizes of us is that we are all preoccupied with something. And ultimately, it's going to be but one thing at a time. Because we just don't have enough bandwidth to be preoccupied. I mean, really, when you think about what the word preoccupied means, by definition, that's really exclusive. It's one thing at a time. We don't have enough bandwidth to be preoccupied with three things, or even two things, but one thing. Our our vision doesn't go out wide enough and deep enough to be preoccupied but with one thing at a time. So the question is, what are we preoccupied with? What are we seeking after? What has laid hold of our affections? As an illustration, think with me about that sad story from the Cincinnati Zoo last weekend. Right? Unless you were in a cave over the last several days, you'd probably know what I'm referring to here. The, the, the story of that three-year-old little boy who got away from his parents and managed to sneak in somehow, getting into the gorilla enclosure there at the Cincinnati Zoo. And Harambe, this 450-pound gorilla, picks up the boy and drags him across this moat 
And recognizing the stakes and recognizing the setting and the situation, the zoo officials had to make a hard call, and they killed that gorilla. And fortunately, the boy is, is safe and, and, and didn't suffer any serious injury. Well, here's what my point bringing all that up. Every party involved in the moment was preoccupied with something. Every single party. Boy. Wants to see gorilla. Doesn't care what mom and dad thinks. Doesn't care what mom and dad says. He wants to see, you see, the gorilla. Mom and dad, we don't know, but you know something diverted their attention off of what he was doing. You know, and we parents can relate to this. You know, all I did was turn my back for a second, and that kid's off like a shot. We ought to have a lot of sympathy for these folks, is my guess, much more than a lot of people are having. So they're pre he's preoccupied, they're preoccupied, the zoo officials are preoccupied. They're preoccupied with making the right call, doing the right thing, no matter how hard it may prove to be. They're all preoccupied with something. My point is this, so are we. All the time. What is it? Who is it? Is it, are, are, we, are we concerned for our security? Um, what, what's, what's, what is dominating? What's our concern? What is our ambition? What are we, as Jesus says, seeking after over and above all things? Is it the essentials of life that frankly are really more in his hands, little more than incidentals of life because he's got it covered? What are we seeking after? What are we preoccupied with, or is, it, or is it with his rule and righteousness? Our con ultimately, it comes down to this. It's a, I know it's a, something of a binary thing. Ultimately, our confidence and trust will either be in the true God or lesser gods. There's not a third option here. Our confidence and trust will either be in the one true God or in lesser gods. Our energies are going to be given either to worship or worry. And that's connected. Because you see, our, whether or not we are worshiping or worrying, that's tied to where our hope is. If our hope is a true hope in the one true God, it will be worship. If our hope is tied to the lesser gods, the false gods, the fake gods, the empty gods, the false hopes, the false securities, the false certainties, the things that will give way the moment we put too much weight on them, then we will be given to worry. Jesus calls us to follow him, to live lives no longer of worry and anxiety, but trust. May we hear him. Let's pray. Lord, to walk in this way, to live in this way, is indeed a different way. Uh, it is certainly different, distinct from everyone around us. But Lord, we also confess it is different and distinct from what we're used to. In that sense, it's different. And we realize that, that that can only come from really hearing you here. 
from hearing you and what you're calling us away from, lives of worry and fretting and anxiety with hope and trust put in all the wrong things, and hearing you and what you're calling us to and what we're made for in seeking after your kingdom and your righteousness. Oh, would you cultivate within our hearts ears with ears to hear and an ability to trust you, to trust your words, the truth, truthfulness of your words and your promises, to trust our Father's care and His provision. Help us, we pray. Teach us, we pray. Help us to become more of what we are, what we've professed ourselves to be. If we be Christians, if we be your followers, help us to be. Be what we are. In your name we pray. Amen.